First off, I got to apologize for that extra line in the bulletin there. That was, that was my bad. <laughs> so have you ever heard this said before? Nothing that is said before the word but really counts for much. I got to make sure I don't make eye contact with anybody here. This is just an example, okay, I promise. That's a great shirt. I love that shirt, but your hair could really use some work. I don't think any of us is hearing that and then grinning ear to ear like, wow, he really likes my hair. That's so nice. Or if you say, you know, he's a great guy, but I don't even have to finish that one. You know that whatever comes next is basically going to cancel out that whole great guy thing. That little conjunction, but, is such a little word in our English language but it can be a very powerful one. And that's true when we read the Bible, too. Now, I'm not going to say that it's true that nothing before the word but in the Bible matters, because everything that's in the Bible matters. And yet that little word but is definitely one that when we read the Bible, we should pay attention to. So with that being said, we'll read our lesson from God's word that we're focusing on in our sermon message this morning. From Ephesians chapter 2, we read, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, deserving of wrath. Not the most pleasant words to hear about yourself, are they? By nature, deserving of wrath. Dead in transgressions and sins. God's word here does not pull any punches. God wants us to fully understand how serious our situation is without Jesus. And dead in sin, that is not a figure of speech. That is a very real description of our own abilities to fix our broken relationship towards God. I mean, what exactly can a dead person do? You think about Jesus' friend Lazarus. Lazarus got sick, and he died, and he was in the tomb for four days before Jesus miraculously brought him back to life. I'm curious, what, what do you think Lazarus' point of view would be on his participation in that event? What, do you th- what part do you think he would say he played in all of that? Was he laying there and he heard Jesus say, okay, Lazarus, come on out, and then he thought about it, hmm, should I take him up on that? No. No, when you're dead, you're completely helpless. And you're helpless to such a degree that only an act of God, only a divine intervention can change that. Sin makes us dead. Sin makes us helpless. And sure, sinners still walk around in the world. Sinners still live and breathe in this world. And yet, the Bible says that without Jesus, we're as good as dead. But because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's that little word that we were looking for. And that's how God follows up that harsh, piercing section of his law with just an absolute torrential downpour of his grace. And I think sometimes preachers try to imitate that, that kind of pattern there, that kind of writing style that we just heard. And yet I think it can easily fall short because it's easy for us to talk about the law. It's easy for us to talk about sin. We have no shortage of experiences with sin. We can talk on and on about how sinful we are and how little we deserve from God and how we fall so short. And I'll be honest, sometimes I see myself doing that and I try to avoid that. But why, why is that? Well, it's because sin is our part of this equation. Sin is the part that we understand. Sin is the thing that we see so much in our lives. There is no shortage of examples of how to talk about sin. We see sin. We understand sin. Sin makes sense to us. What doesn't always make as much sense to us is grace. The fact that God would look at a world full of people who are dead in sin and that his heart would go out to them. The fact that God would look at people who are deserving of his wrath and yet decide that he wants to give us the exact opposite. That's the grace that we sometimes do struggle to find a way to understand and to explain because there's nothing that can compare to it. Every single analogy is going to fall short. And yet when it's God speaking to us in his word, well, he can talk on and on about that grace. I mean, just look. I had to put it against a white background so you could see it. Just look at all of the ways that God emphasizes his love to you. God knows how little of this kind of love we see in the world around us and we see in our daily lives. And so he knows that we need it told again and again to pound it into our heads and into our hearts. God says it is because of his great love for us and it is because of his mercy that he saved us by his grace. And maybe you're thinking, okay, hold on a second. I know this trick. The Apostle Paul here, the writer, the human writer of these words, is just using the oldest trick in the book. You just bust out the old thesaurus, and you find every synonym you can, and you just throw them all in there. It makes for 
better word variation. And yet that's not it at all. All three of these words, love, mercy, grace. These words all teach us something totally different and totally amazing about God and about the way he feels about us. So first there's love. And we probably know about love. Love is maybe the most overused word in our vocabulary. And I'm, I'm a chief offender of this because I'll talk in one breath about how I love my fiance and I love my family. And then I'll say, but I also love pizza as long as it's not you know, eight hours old or baseball or fishing. I love these things. I don't know if you've seen the, this commercial. This is a, a screenshot from the start of it. It's a commercial for New York Life Insurance Company. It has absolutely nothing to do with insurance, but that's not the point. Uh, the, in, the commercial talks about how the ancient Greek people, they had four different words that they used to talk about love. So the one that's on the screen there, that would mean like the love of friendship. But then there's also romantic love. And there's the love that you'd feel toward a sibling or a grandparent. And then there's the last one. Then there's agape love. And this commercial talks about agape love as being the most admirable type of love. Love as an action. And it takes courage and sacrifice and strength. Now the ad never talks about the Bible. And yet the Bible is the number one place to learn about agape love. Pastor Heckendorf actually said to me this week, I wonder if they had a pastor working for them when they, when they wrote this. For example, last week we talked about, our five-star passage talked about how God proves his love for us. The word that the Bible uses there is that word agape. And has there ever been a better example of love as an action, and self-sacrificing love than what Jesus did for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, God made us alive again in Jesus. And so you and I might not always know what we mean when we use the word love. And yet when God says that he loves you, he shows you exactly what he means. And today we also hear that God has mercy. Now maybe mercy makes you think of a song on the radio, or maybe mercy makes you think of an older sibling pinning you down until you say mercy. But either way, you basically get the point. Mercy is a response to vulnerability. Mercy is when something a need in a person causes someone else to help. When you see a little kid that's crying in the grocery store because he lost his mom, you help him. Not necessarily because you love this little kid that you've never seen before in your life, but because he's helpless and because you can do something about it. And that mercy, that's the response that we create in God. We cause God's mercy. Now, wait a second. I thought the whole point was that we don't earn anything from God. And as an overarching statement, that is true. That is true. And that's absolutely true about God's grace. And yet, in a way, we do 
earn God's mercy because we earn it by our sin. Deserving mercy is not something that you would ever want to brag about. We are only worthy of God's mercy because we are so unworthy of God in general. The only way you can deserve mercy is to be completely pathetic and to be completely helpless. And that is why we deserve God's mercy. And yet you can never, ever deserve God's grace. Now grace, that's that word that it almost defies explanation sometimes. And yet it's, it's how God says that we are saved. He says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And the Bible actually says that little phrase two different times. It's, it's almost like Paul's writing, and the first time he says it, he just can't help it. He has to say it. It is by grace you have been saved. And then, in case you're not familiar with that little word grace, it includes this little tidbit at the end. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, not by what you do, so that no one can boast. Sadly, there are a lot of attempts to, to redefine what grace means. Some will say that, that grace is God just helping us along. Grace is God helping us reach our full potential. Or others might say that grace covers your past, but you're responsible for your future. The devil works in all kinds of deceptive ways. But this passage, these words from God, really leave no doubt in our mind as to what grace really is. Grace is exactly what we sang at the start of church this morning. Grace is free, and grace is boundless. And it is God's gift to you. Grace is God's gift to you. And a gift is not something that we choose to receive. A gift is something that God freely decides that he wants to give to you. Now, I think the reason that we sometimes, we sometimes struggle a little bit to, to understand grace and to believe grace is because, like we talked about the kids this morning, we live in a world where if something seems too good to be true, it almost definitely is, right? So we hear the message of God's grace, and we hear that it is completely free, and we say, that can't be right. It can't be free. It has to be earned. The reality is, it is earned. Just not by us. Just not by us. God gives us his free and full forgiveness because it was earned for us by Jesus. I think it's a really cool tradition that we have in the Lutheran church that when you get confirmed, when you get officially welcomed into the church, you get assigned a verse. You get your Bible verse, your confirmation verse. And maybe we'll never know why, but I think, I think those verses always have some sort of special meaning. There's some reason that your pastor decided this verse, I think, is going to be especially impactful, especially meaningful to you. My confirmation verse is these words here, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. And I had my, my hunches as to why that was, but I wanted to know for sure. And so I, my, my pastor, when I got confirmed, was my dad. And so this week I texted him, and I just said, 
Why'd you make Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 my confirmation verse? His response, because it rocks. <laughs> no objection there. I mean, I could not say it better myself. It, it absolutely does rock. And then that got me thinking, what if, what if I lived my life with these words from God on my heart and in the forefront of my mind every day of my life? I mean, I think I would be the happiest guy in the world. Why can you and I close our eyes at night in peace? And why can we trust that our days are in God's hands? And why can we be so sure that God loves us and that he forgives us and that Jesus' death on the cross covers over all of our sins? The answer is right here in these words. The answer is grace. It's that grace that God says has absolutely nothing to do with you and has absolutely everything to do with him. It's that grace that you could, you could scour the earth for and you would never really find it because grace, true grace, can only really be found in God. And God chooses to give that grace to you because he's God and he makes the rules. And if you ever start to question how God feels about you, come back to these words that we looked at today. Start from the beginning. Hear the truth about your sin. And then treasure that, that little conjunction. Treasure that little word, but. God says, it is by grace that you have been saved. You were dead in your sins, but... He made you alive again in Christ Jesus. When you hear God speak the law in his word, you can count on it. There will always be that little conjunction. You can always find that word but. But you will never find it after the gospel. When it comes to our salvation, it's always God who gets the final word. And his final word to you is always grace. Amen. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding